Hello and welcome back to The ND, the podcast from the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent. I'm your host, Molly McEnany. On this episode, we're hosting a Juneteenth panel to discuss what the holiday means to the local Black community. Black people have been celebrating Juneteenth for over 150 years, but it was only last year that Juneteenth became a federally recognized holiday. This week, some states have even refrained from recognizing and celebrating Juneteenth, even though this is the only holiday on the federal calendar that addresses slavery and emancipation. On this episode of The Indie, we're joined by Jordan Killebrew, co-founder of Juneteenth Santa Barbara, the Wanda Lyons Pruitt, president of the NAACP Santa Maria and Long Pope Branch, and Sterling Nix Bradley, owner of Soul Bites Restaurant on State Street, to talk about the support and renewal of Black community in Santa Barbara and what kind of conversations around Juneteenth they would like to see happen in the future. My co-host for this episode is Professor France Windance Twine, sociology professor at UC Santa Barbara, where she teaches courses on race, racism and anti-racism, gender and sexuality, and critical technology studies. She's the author and editor of 11 books and has conducted field research on the African diaspora in Brazil, Britain, and Ecuador. Her latest book is Geek Girls, Inequality and Opportunity in Silicon Valley. Thank you everyone for joining us on the Indies Juneteenth panel today. Absolutely. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. Thank Absolutely. you. So I'll invite Professor Twine to start us off with the first question today. Okay, so although Juneteenth has been celebrated by Blacks in Texas, Louisiana, and other parts of the country since 1865, it's only been a federal holiday for one year. In what ways do you think Juneteenth can be a vehicle for all Americans, especially whites, to rethink the meaning and practice of freedom in the United States? This question gets to the fact that we were not liberated by the Emancipation Proclamation, right? It took a lot more than that. Also, enslaved persons who were property of Native American tribes weren't liberated, emancipated under that act. So what do you think this holiday can do for people who don't know this history? And we know that our public schools have failed to adequately teach the history of African-Americans? I'll start. First of all, I grew up in Mississippi and really slavery wasn't in my history books, let alone Juneteenth. My history book, there was a blurb about indentured servant and that was glorified, but nothing about Juneteenth. And then it wasn't until I moved to California in 1973, attended the junior college, transferred to Cal State University, Long Beach. And then through my own self-education that I learned the uh, significance of a lot of things, including Juneteenth. That said, I think for us to keep having these events, these celebrations, and to keep putting Juneteenth, Black history, and all the contributions that Black African-Americans have made, then we are educated. We're educating the public. We're educating students. We're educating people of color. We're educating white people. So we're, we're doing education when we're putting on these celebrations. And people are learning the uh, significance of Juneteenth. And by the way, Juneteenth is not a state holiday in California, one of the most progressive states in the union. But there is a bill pending, AB 1655, which should have been signed before June 19th to make Juneteenth a state holiday. 
Luanda, I share some of your stories. My mother was born in Mississippi, but most of my family on that side is from Louisiana. I didn't learn any of this. I mean, I have a PhD and I didn't learn any of this until I started going to Juneteenth in Oakland when I was a graduate student at Berkeley. So I went through my entire education, didn't learn anything about it, and didn't really celebrate it until I was at Berkeley. And so I've been celebrating it now for about 30 years. But it's it's shameful. It is. It, it really is. It really is. And then, you know, we have Jordan. Uh, Jordan brings all of us together so that we can plan events like Juneteenth and Black History. You know, then we have the News Hawk and we have the Independent and other media where we can use that to educate also. And we hope to also take a couple of programs into the schools. And I'll jump in because as we see, two years after Emancipation Proclamation was signed, folks were not free. And even then we're learning that some farms and those that still gave into the economics of slavery, there were still pockets of communities that still had slaves in, in Texas. And it just continues a pattern of that we see when it came to voting rights, when it came to just civil rights, when it comes to everything, we are often either forgotten or need to continue to fight just to be equal, just to have that equity. And so it's important. And the reason why I do the work that I do of bringing people together, especially in our black community, is because it seems like there's an active way of diminishing our stories, diminishing our struggle, diminishing our work and our contributions to society. And so that's why I I really believe in bringing folks together to not only organize and leverage each other, especially in our black community, but to let people know that we're here. I, I get exhausted hearing so much from community members, like where is the black community? I don't see the black community. And the black community is here. Just because it's not right in front of your face, it is here. I think that was evidence in all the Juneteenth events that happened this weekend. I was up in Lompoc celebrating Miss Lawanda, who received a, a congressional award for a congressional woman of the year. It was a beautiful moment where our black community was able to come together and show that we're here. The same happened in San Inez Valley on Saturday. I went to that celebration as well, where we celebrated Juneteenth. And then of course on Sunday, where we had our Caring for the People block party, which honestly people were telling me, this was the most diverse event that they've ever seen in Santa Barbara. The most diverse event. People were saying it felt like Oakland. And that's something that is beautiful because there was a lot of locals that were there that are black, that are BIPOC. We are here. We just need to make it safer here. That's all I'm I'm saying. So I will continue to do what I'm doing to bring people together because so much education happened that day. Just like Ms. Lawanda said, people were stopping by our booth asking, what is Juneteenth? Which to me, I'm shocked, but it's like, no, this is part of the process to clash our cultures together so people understand. Because what we have are different narratives in our, in our society, we have different narratives going left and right. And what we need to do is just bring up and continue to uplift the truth, which is what, like the truths of our land, the truths of our stories and sharing so that people can see these events, come and engage with these events and learn with an open heart and with love. Well spoken. <laughs> well, I feel, um, I guess, kind of privileged in, uh, in a way. I grew up, my mother was a teacher. My mother and father um, grew up around the corner from each other in Taylor, Texas, a a small cotton town in Texas. So I was raised in Juneteenth from 
the time I you know, was a uh, I can remember you know through my teen years and so I feel blessed in that way and I, and I I'm also disappointed Amen. because Amen. I just thought I grew up in California I'm a public school kid and I was in my mother's class on a couple of occasions as well but um we studied Juneteenth we studied these things even though they weren't in the history books I was in Marin County in Nevada and uh, we studied that. Then when I moved to Oxnard, again, maybe it was because sometimes I turn in a paper about some obscure African-American or Black inventor and everyone became a thing. And so it was a discussion. Maybe my memory's clouded that it wasn't as discussed as I think. But I grew up in that. And I, I find today that what happened? How did we get so far behind in in educating not only our own people, but all humans about the greatness of Black accomplishments. And Juneteenth to me has always been a celebration, a red drink and fried chicken and watermelon. I mean, I hate to be, I know some places you can't say that or do that. It's absurd to me that now we're outlawing the things that are part of what is Black culture. It's like not politically correct to serve them or I don't know, a dialogue definitely needs to happen on that as well. But um, I'm sorry to hear the stories that you all grew up in because, uh, you know, I do feel blessed though that I got to uh, know all of these things, you know, as a child and embrace them. So I, I had a lot of great Texas Juneteenth celebrations in my teenage years that are unforgettable. That's that's wonderful, Mr. Sterling, because, of course, Texas was the first state to recognize Juneteenth as uh, a state holiday. Absolutely. Even though they're a red state. Yeah, no, absolutely. They were the first state in the union to do that. And right. while on the other hand, here we are in progressive blue state, California, shame on California, and we haven't done that yet. Absolutely. I'm shocked as well. Yeah. I think it's a mythology that California is a progressive state, by the way. California had a lot of forms of unfree labor here. I do think you were blessed to have grown up in Texas, but Texas also was a place where 4 million slaves were transferred or taken from Louisiana and other places. They joined the union as a slave holding state. So they do, I think Texas has an obligation to do that. But I also think we have a painful history. And I think Sterling, you were fortunate to have teachers in your family because I think there's so much pain around the migration history, the internal migration history of our people that some of our parents and grandparents, they don't talk about it. They don't want to teach it, you know, because it's painful. Right. That's why we need more Black teachers and, and involved in, in the school system. Absolutely. Well, not only is it painful, but I think also growing up in the, the uh, 60s in Mississippi, and maybe even today, lynching was still happening. So many Blacks living in Mississippi they have been beaten down and they were afraid and intimidated to celebrate Juneteenth or talk about Black history. And we know Juneteenth, Black history and all other, the accomplishments of Black people is American history. But for too long, it wasn't in the history books. No, you're absolutely right. And I also think that there's been a reluctance on the state, uh, on the on the federal government in many states. They want to deny this history. We're in love with the immigrant narrative, the immigrant story, but we've been here longer than most 
immigrants, especially of European ancestry. And this whole American mythology of we're so exceptional and we provide all these opportunities. If we tell the real history and we include Juneteenth, we have to reframe the narrative of American exceptionalism because we're not exceptional. We have a Senate that's undemocratic that we adopted from the Romans. We have all sorts of structures that are anti-democratic. And I think the history of Juneteenth would force Americans to look at the contradictions in the stories that we tell. And also it denies the, we don't wanna acknowledge the centrality of the black experience to what it is to be an American. Well, even though we don't want to make Juneteenth and recognize its importance and the significance of it, because history would have to be rewritten, it's important that we tell a story and that we keep it out there. Juneteenth, Black history, all the contributions, that we keep it out there so that we can educate and our kids, their kids, and the whole world knows the contributions that our ancestors and that we've made to this country. Well, I wanna thank you, Jordan and Lawanda and Sterling for the work that you're doing, because I do think that California gets a lot of attention. We do have the largest population by state in the country, followed by Texas. And so what happens here matters actually. California can be a model. So I think this is a really amazing opportunity because I, I think it will matter. Yeah, I just wanted to segue and say, yeah, it's very important to point out how everyone has a different experience just from what I've been listening to with how it's been approached in the classroom and in your own home and how families that have celebrated Juneteenth or people who have only recently discovered Juneteenth who are part of these communities. But I want to ask what kind of conversations would each of you like to see among Black leaders and Black thought leaders as the national community begins to learn more about the history and significance of Juneteenth in the context of ongoing systemic racism in the U.S. and even amongst conversations between white individuals? How would we like to see that progress in the future? Well, so like in the confines of capitalism, what we see, and we've seen this with other, you know, holidays that are federally recognized or other months, um, especially it's June, it's Pride Month, you can see that these companies come in, and they come in for the month, they're, woo, go, go gay pride, they're all about it, and really capitalize on this community, and then come July 1st, they're like, bye we're done. <laughs> we don't need that. And so my my concern, and we saw a little bit of it this year, like what happened in DC with Pharrell's Wade in the Water Festival that kind of was a disaster. It was this departure of we're not going to actually tie to our history. We're not going to make it a local event. We're not going to uplift our local folks. And that's something that at Juneteenth Santa Barbara, we are very clear. We want this to be accessible. We want this to be educational. We want this to be local. We want this to feel like us. This is our community. And so for me, what I'm hopeful is that we stay true to the roots of this holiday. Our ancestors did not, did not, let me repeat, did not go through all they went through for us to have what happened in D.C., for us to just sell out to capitalism. And so for me, it's very, very clear that we have to remain intentional we have to be rooted in our history, rooted in our ancestors, rooted in our elders to make it a multicultural, multi, 
not, I guess multicultural event, but multi-generational event where everybody can contribute, share their stories and continue their truth. So my goal is to, again, within the confines of capitalism, try and keep this, this holiday pure because it, it, it has pure intent. And for me, I'm hopeful that leaders at the national level can recognize that and not fall into these traps. Unfortunately, we do live in a, a capitalist system. So I think one of the things we have to be really careful about is if money is made, that it goes back to the Black community, to the local community, that it gets channeled into education and, and, that, and support Absolutely. Black businesses. Absolutely. So I think if we're intentional, we could say, okay, we know people need to eat at this. We know artists may participate, but we make sure that that money is channeled to Sterling's business, to Black-owned businesses. I think there's an opportunity there to stay grounded, but make sure that any funds that are made are reinvested in the local Black community. Well said. I think for the purpose of what we're talking about today, uh, we're soul bites. Um, what we do is food. What I would like to see happen is our bigger leaders finding ways to help build the coalition of um, what you know we all are about. For instance, when the slaves were here, there were yams in uh, West Africa. There were sweet potatoes here, right? It was the Native Americans that really worked with the slaves on how to best prepare that. And the cornmeal that was here, how to, we got our hoe cakes and those ideas. We learned a lot of that from the natives that were here. And I think it would be cool, like on Juneteenth, as I'm celebrating my Black Eyed Peas and my Johnny Sticks and hoe cakes, that we have some of the native dishes or people there as well, because they are part of our experience. And I think if our leaders can open up the umbrella, so to speak, to include these people on that kind of level, I don't want to take away from the Black accomplishments, but we didn't just do it by ourselves. Just, you know, I like I honor every human that's of black skin and other skins that came before me and and laid down their lives in some places for me to just be on this podcast with you. But I would like for our leaders to acknowledge those that, you know, find a way to incorporate that into their stories about, you know, Juneteenth celebrations, et cetera. It's not just about us. Yeah, I think that's well said. What everyone has said is well said. One thing that I'd like to see is because I look at everything that happened to our ancestors, like when the Emancipation Proclamation did reach Texas, and then when it, it reached the southern states, our ancestors, all they got was the clothes on their back. They didn't get anything else. They, they didn't know how to read and write because that was forbidden. They were, you know, they were beaten. Many of them didn't even have their kids. They weren't reunited with their kids or their husband or their wife because they have been sold off. So you can call it whatever you want to. You can call it reparation. You can call it closing the wealth gap that exists in the U.S. But something has to happen. I don't care if it's 40 acres and a mew, but something has to happen that has never happened for Black people as a result of slavery. And that's why we lag behind in the wealth gap. We lag behind in terms of education, because even if you go to college, you're still going to have that wealth gap because now you're stuck with paying that student loan back. 
one thing that that I definitely want to see at some point is where we do education. Slavery is too sanitized for me. That term is too sanitized for me. And I it, it needs to be broken down and people needs to need to understand what is what was slavery. And there's still slavery in the US, by the way. It's in our prison system. The uh, 13th Amendment, it did abolish slavery, but not if you're convicted of committing a crime. So that's why you have the uh, proliferation of uh, the prison industry, mainly with Black and brown people. You're absolutely right, Luanda. And I was really fortunate when I was at Berkeley, I was doing some organizing and I ended up meeting and working with Angela Davis. And one of the things I learned from her is what you said about re-enslavement. But there are a number of things that I think when we think about reparations, I've always thought that Black people who are the direct descendants of enslaved persons in the U.S. should be given free four-year education to the university of their choice in their state. That's like basic. Mm -hmm. The other issue is when, and you're right, uh, Lawanda, about expanding it, because the other issue is when you think about all the immigrants that came from Europe in the 19th and early 20th century to get jobs in factories, formerly enslaved people weren't offered those jobs. I mean, you look at the New York textile industry, you look at these industries and they were denying jobs to free people of color and free black people and giving them to people who just got here. That's another injustice. Like we were never considered for skilled labor, right? And in terms of incarceration, there was an article recently in the, New, I think it was the New York Times, and it was about the corporate use of incarcerated labor and how they're basically paying them nothing. Yes. This has been going on for decades, but like a lot of companies, Dell Computers, there are a lot of companies that are actually using forced labor in terms of language. Lawanda, you mentioned language. I don't use the term plantation anymore in my teaching. I talk about forced labor camps. Yes, yes. They were forced labor camps, right? And we do need to upgrade the language because it has been sanitized. And, and one of the things happening in Texas is they, they want to take the term slaves or enslaved people out of the books altogether. Right. And right. I, I think we have to start do, using the terms that the Europeans use, forced labor camps. That's what we had. But we are, I guess there is a discussion going on right now in California about reparations. I think reparations has to include education. I also think that we need to have input in the citizenship test. You should not be able to become a naturalized citizen without learning about this stuff. I've looked at the citizenship test because I have friends who one of their parents is, is naturalized and the, it's propagandistic. It doesn't actually really address the centrality of, of slavery to the economic foundations and wealth of the country, but also that's another place where we get erased is in the citizenship test. And I know that might sound a little bit off the wall, but a lot of people take that test and they learn nothing really, almost nothing about our contributions. I just wanna say the three of you, Jordan, France, Lawanda, I am li I'm like in class right now. I mean, <laughs> this is amazing, the knowledge that you're dropping and 
I'm I'm blown away. And thanks. So thank you all so much for what you're sharing. This this is beautiful. Well, you know, I've been thinking, Sterling, a lot about. So I wrote a grant with some other people and I co-taught a course on the history of race, immigration and white supremacy in California in the fall. And I had I learned so much. I was confronted with how little I knew about systematic racism in California and about all the, the all black towns in California. So I really, one of the things I hope is that the that UCSB can take a more active role in supporting Juneteenth, supporting the black community and, and creating collaborations that are black led. But I'm in a system where I'm 1%. And for 10 years, I was the only, let me put it this way, self-identified black person in my department for 10 years. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. Wow. <laughs> and and to your point, Sterling, about Native Americans, my father's actually Native American. I'm enrolled on his side in the Muscogee Creek Nation of Oklahoma. So, and I, right now I'm part of a group of faculty. We're trying to launch a, a American Indian and Indigenous Studies Department. So I do think, yeah. so I, I hope that at some point I can help with, work with you in bringing the Shumash into the, the celebration with us. I used to go to the powwows because there's a lot of black native collaboration that has gone on historically and that gets erased too. I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely, amen. My question is what types of resources do you think are needed by the Santa Barbara Juneteenth Foundation and the local black community? What kind of resources do we need from the local state and federal government to support the renewal and growth of this holiday as a racial justice holiday, but also the regrowth and renewal of our local community. If we had a wish list. Absolutely. And I, I think that's something that we are working towards as a community. Um, I've been bringing folks together along with Ms. Wanda and Ms. Wendy for Black History Month and planning and bringing our Black organizations together. And especially this year, folks said, no, let's continue it. Like normally we would start in the fall and like start planning, but folks have been saying, let's continue it. And what we're seeing is just things are bubbling up to the top of what we need. But in terms of what is existing from Santa Barbara County and from the city is that Santa Barbara County got passed through money for diversity, equity, inclusion access um, for the county from the federal government, pretty sure. And they kept some of it, they kept half of it, but then with, Great thanks to Healing Justice. My friends, Simone Ruskamp, uh, Crystal Farmer Seagar, Leticia Forney Rush, they really pushed the county to give that money to Black folks. And the county put them through the hoops. And the county then decided, oh, well, let's give it to the fund for Santa Barbara because they already do granting in this area. And so full transparency, I was fortunate enough to be selected as the, on that grant making committee. And what we saw was this, it's called the Race Equity Fund, of which folks were able to send in applications for what they would use the money for. And we were able to allocate funds to Healing Justice. We were able to allocate funds to the NAACP of Santa Maria Lompoc. We were able to allocate funds to the Martin Luther King Jr. Committee, among other BIPOC organizations throughout the county to really let them do what they do. And if this past weekend was testament enough, when you invest in Black communities, you invest in all of us. What I saw at our, our Black party was 
every, it was the, again, the, one of the most diverse events I've ever been to in Santa Barbara and everybody got to participate and at a, a, a cost of free 99, like people were able to come and, and participate without any, any financial barriers. And so when there is an investment in community members that are working so hard, we make it work for everyone. And so for me, I think the county and at the city level, they have to come to an understanding that there needs to be bigger line items for our community members. Like when I look at the city of Santa Barbara and I look at the line item they have for Fiesta and I look at the line item they have for Solstice in comparison to what they have for Juneteenth, I'm like, thank you for like, we're grateful and we'll continue to show up. But also are these spaces more welcoming to our, our folks that live here? Like I think most people, when it comes to Fiesta in Santa Barbara, the locals leave town. When I think of, of Solstice, I think Solstice is a more local event, but it's also probably not that diverse. Like when I'm when I attend, I'm like, okay, this is this is for different communities. And I I think when we look at the example of what we did this past Sunday, we see that we're bringing more people together of different diverse backgrounds. And so what I can say is continue, please continue the, that investment and see what happens. See how much it enhances our our, our community. You're absolutely right. I, I never go to Fiesta, which I consider a neo-colonial holiday celebrating Spanish colonialism, but uh, it's like a Disney version. But I, I think you're right. We need more money and, and more support and more visibility. Well, I totally agree with Jordan because we received the racial equity money. And uh, we also received some, some funding from Santa Barbara County Arts and Culture Department. And that allowed us to really expand from last year, from what we put on last year. We actually utilized 22 acres of Ryan Park in Lompoc to put on this event and to really expand what we were doing. Like we had a um, children's story time. We had a whole children's session, but on the stage, we actually put on children's story time. The person that that uh, did the uh, story time, it was the 1619 Project, Born on the Water. We wouldn't have been able to do that. And to, we had recreation leaders there. We had the bookmobile. Um, we actually had soul food vendors, which we didn't have uh, last time, but we were able to get all that. And that was because we had the resources to be able to do that. Our wish list would be resources. We didn't charge anything. So there were no fees. I think that also helped us draw in people of all diversities. That's what we want to do because if we get all ethnicities coming in, then we're educating and we're telling our history because that story needs to be told and it needs to be told repeatedly. You know, I would like to see um, more attention resources funneled to the 400 block of State Street. That is probably the one block of Santa Barbara that is majority BIPOC owned. I mean, that we're the only street on this promenade. I mean, if I, however people want to do it, if we're going to take away all the parklets and open up all the streets, that's one way to look at it. But if we're going to have all this closed off, not having the 400 block closed off, and there is a solution, um, is totally, completely unfair because we are just like a drive-through 
you know, for all the traffic going up to the party at the 500 block. It's really um, affecting all of our businesses. If you can, you could walk up the 400 block and it's like, hey, there's some people out. And then when you get to the cruisery and the 500 block, it's like overflowing with humans and humanity. And that's only because the block off starts there. If it started one block sooner, you would see that same flow. And I think as an entryway to Santa Barbara, to State Street, we should have that blocked off so that the party starts there when you get up the hill, not, you know, after you walk past my business. For some context, I wanted to jump in here and share why the significance of Juneteenth is rooted in Texas. On June 19, 1865, two years after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed by President Abraham Lincoln, slaves in Texas finally received word that they were free. As you heard from Sterling at the beginning of this episode, Black communities in Texas have celebrated this day for decades, but word of the celebration has only recently begun to spread to the furthest corners of the U.S pressuring more states to turn the page to a new chapter, emphasizing equality. Turning Juneteenth into the 11th federally recognized holiday by the White House says that this is the time to address the policy issues that are currently confronting Black Americans, those including voting rights, police reform, and equal access to health care and education. My next question if I can hop in how can organizations and the city work with local schools representatives city council to promote the Juneteenth holiday all year in Santa Barbara in ways that support black businesses black artists black oriented programming well I don't just want it to be Juneteenth I want it to be uh, black history I want it to be all of the contributions that Blacks, African-Americans that we've made, not just like in Santa Barbara, Santa Maria, Lompo, or in California, but in the United States. So I don't want to concentrate, like just have the schools concentrate on just Juneteenth. We're bringing in a program to Lompo Middle School. So it would be it's Lompo Unified School District from Colorado. They have a, a Demiza Museum. They have a program, it's called Bridging Cultural Understanding, and that's supposed to come into the schools. We're reaching for the junior high, sixth through eighth grade, been working with Santa Maria, trying to get that same program in Santa Maria. They need approval, haven't heard back, and they, they have the email, it's in writing. I think it's up to them, and I shouldn't have to keep saying uh, how's that going? They should be reaching out to us because there are a lot of issues in all the uh, schools with anti-Blackness as what happened in Santa Barbara. We didn't have an incident to that stream, to the one with the George Floyd incident. But there are incidents. I, I was getting plenty of calls from schools in Lompo, schools in Santa Maria, parents, students, some principals were calling and they were reaching out. Problem with the uh, the N-word being used. And so it can't just be about Juneteenth. We got to start at the beginning. I totally support what you're saying. I think it'd be nice to expose uh, people to the history of Black California, you know, and I'm thinking about when I was co-teaching this course in the fall, one of the things that happened was Gavin Newsom 
restored the the it was it it was the beach Bruce Bruce Beach Bruce's Beach yes yes yeah I we were I was teaching about like how land had been taken from black people who managed to even purchase land but I think it would be really great if we could develop some kind of programming that link the history of Black California and then these different counties, you know, Santa Barbara County, like, like link it, we need it at different levels. We need it at the K through 12. We need the public libraries. It'd be nice if we could sort of bring people together and create something that ends up being statewide. That's an excellent idea. And I know that Jordan can speak on that because they are doing it in Santa Barbara. Yeah. They are doing it. I'm really proud of the work that they're doing down there with that. I thank you for sharing that. And thank you, Ms. Alanda, for looping that in. So what we're seeing is that it has to happen at the city level first. And what we're seeing with Healing Justice, who so brilliantly on May 31st, during their, their rally for justice in Santa Barbara, over 3,000 people met at the, the steps of the courthouse and they made a demand to make our local black churches historical landmarks. And so that was the start of the city wanting to invest. The city, of course, ad adopted that and said, yes, let's move forward with that. Linked up with Nicole Hernandez at the city of Santa Barbara and has been working with not only Healing Justice, but our elder sojourner Kincaid role who is kind of like our community historian, if you will, to identify all the places where Black folks lived, thrived, worshipped, et cetera. And over that amount of time, they have gotten, uh, they've worked with the state of California. They are working at the city level. They're working with, you know, Healing Justice and Juneteenth SB with Mr. Jerner to identify all of these locations and creating a historical context statement. Now, a historical context statement, there's lots of articles that have been written about the work that Healing Justice is doing, and I'm happy to share them, especially with you, Ms. France, so that you can see all the work that's happening. But they've been in the Independent, they've been in News Hawk, so we're really trying to get as much information as possible because we need the community to give us all their documentation of what they've seen. And what is going to happen is next month, we're going to be able to share that information and share where all the Black folks live. What we're finding is that the Funk Zone was actually where a lot of Black and BIPOC people live. We're learning that the Lower East Side of downtown, along Haley, that's where a lot of Black folks live, on the East Side, right around the Franklin Center. A lot of Black folks live there. And what we're also seeing is that there was redlining. It was really identifying where the redlining was for our communities. And so to take that model and then to help identify where the, the history is for our Black community, I think every city, if able, should be able to do that. Then we can do that process that Ms. France is talking about how we can then connect the cities and connect all these stories to then build a bigger archive. But I think it definitely has to start with the, at the city level and that investment there and folks, uh, and I hope that inspires folks to, to get invested in their history and help create their own historical context statements so then we can link city to city. I think that would be the next, the next hurdle is how do we link our Santa Barbara to Lompoc? How do we link ours to Santa Maria? How do we link ours to Carpinteria? Like how do we link all of our cities to then have it? Santa Barbara County historical context. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, one of the things that I'm noticing, because I, I go back to the Bay Area regularly, is we're seeing Black flight and disappearance. When I was living in San Francisco, I saw the Black community being moved out, right? And now we're seeing parts of West Oakland. I have friends there being pushed out uh, and actually moving to Texas, actually, some of them. 
But this is really important, not just to the historical landmarks, but also maybe to some people could start documenting the process by which Blacks are being pushed out again, pushed out of areas where they've been historically, like right now in California. Yes, and I, I am aware of so many families that lived in Santa Barbara at one time that now live in Santa Maria and Lompoc. And I, I, I asked, well, did your family own the property? No, they were just renting, which is unfortunate. But again, we go back to that Black wealth and not being able to have the capital to purchase, you know, like even 40 years ago, to purchase something that was a third of what it is, the price it is today. And this is where reparation comes in, right? And I'm thinking about, because my mother's family is mainly from New Orleans. I lived in New Orleans for a year. And I'm looking at, you think about what happened there after Katrina and all the Black renters, right? Ended A lot of them ended up in Houston because they were renters. And if the city didn't help them rebuild, you know, the, they could be put out. This is a national problem. And I, I wanted to go back to what I said about some of our um, local festivals. I think they're doing great. I think they're awesome. I don't want to knock them. I, I appreciate them. But I also think it's when we look at the city budget, they are their value statements. Like we have to look and see where the money is going, what is being invested in. And so that to me is just something that I think we always have to. Budgets are not sexy things. Budgets are not exciting things. People don't want to talk about budgets. And that's how sometimes budgets go to different things that probably don't align with our culture's core values. And so I just, I want to encourage folks to be mindful of where what our city budget is going to and how can we divert that into programs that invest in our communities and make our communities stronger. We have to show up at these city council meetings too. I'm also thinking about as things move off of Zoom back to in-person, it's important that we mobilize and show up at these at these meetings, at these city council meetings. I have to give credit to Healing Justice. They be they be at meetings, y'all, um, and so like they be at meetings. I show up at meetings. Like we we do need people to show up because once you share your voice, city council will listen. They really will listen. They want to meet with people, but they they need to hear our voices. I can just share that I just served on the Community Formation Commission, which was developed again, as a response of Healing Justice and their work on May 30th to the city saying that there needs to be civilian oversight for Santa Barbara Police Department. And so what happened is people showed up. People showed up for public comment. And I those meetings were long because there was so much public comment. And what happened is the city council then said, well, let's create a group to develop a community formation, to develop civilian oversight for the police department. So they called it the Community Formation Commission. And put forth, uh, again, a demand from Healing Justice that it should be the most diverse commission ever. It should be, you know, as many pockets of our community as possible included. And so I think 15 of us were selected. I was fortunately selected. And we did, we spent 13 months to develop this oversight model and gave a recommendation to city council. Now they're trying to figure out how to make that work. But at that same time, that is what happens when people show up and organize and really work towards a common goal. Like police departments were never meant to have oversight. And so it's interesting to see that this is happening and it's a trend that's happening across the nation. But it's like, I, you know, everybody needs oversight. I have a boss. Everybody has people that 
Um, yeah. like I'm sure, Ms. France, you have editors for your books. Mm-hmm. Like you always have a check and balance and it's just time that everybody has that, including police officers. So those, that's my two cents on please get involved and, <laughs> and call up. I will try to show up, Jordan, if I'm not teaching at night and buried, I will try to show up to stuff. Well, I mean, but it, it speaks to the model of it. Their meetings are at two o'clock in the afternoon for the city of Santa Barbara. I know the city of Goleta, they do theirs in the, in the evening. But it's like, if we talk about access, who can show up at two o'clock? I mean, we have a lot of folks that are retired here. So like <laughs> some of them might be able to show up. I'm fortunate enough uh, that I can step out for my lunch and be like, hey, I'm here. Or like join join a Zoom while I'm working and listen in. But it, it's, uh, and that's kind of like part of my job a little bit. So like, it's interesting if we just shift back to a different time. How, how can we then better serve our communities if we have access for them? So that's my two cents. I hope I don't get in trouble for sharing too much. Folks are going to be emailing me, but it's, it's, it's the truth. <laughs> we still have freedom of speech, I think. <laughs> well, I agree with Jordan, and I think it's in, important in the words of uh, Congressman John R. Lewis that we speak up and speak out. And so we must go to the people in position of power and let our voices be heard. That is the only way. I mean, change this isn't going to happen if you stay at home and you're complaining about it, but you don't do anything about it. You have to speak up and speak out. So we've addressed some of this, but the final question that Molly and I have is, how do you imagine the Juneteenth holiday being transformed and reimagined by future generations of Black artists, activists, entrepreneurs, and public intellectuals as we try to work together. How do you imagine the future of this holiday developing? We're in a really interesting moment right now because it's only been a year since it's been a federal holiday. And I think we're gonna see an explosion over the next several years. What do you imagine happening as we try to create? I think Jordan used the term multi-generational, multi-ethnic, and and really bringing the artists, entrepreneurs, activists together. My two cents is that we have to have intent and it has to be rooted in the community. It has to come from the community. And so the multi-generational piece is that we have to include our elders. We have to include our, our young folks. Like for our event on Sunday, we had such our our Sojourner Kincaid Roll, who just published her book, Free at Last, from her poem that she wrote about Juneteenth 18 years ago, come on stage and share her experience, share about her poem, share, read her book. And then we also had a kid zone that had coloring and had, of course, a Princess Tiana, because kids, little kids love that, but like uh, entering in a way to educate them at a young age about what this holiday is in an appropriate way, of course. And then we had our Black Artisan Market where we invited our Black community members that are, 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 are either service providers or entrepreneurs or whoever to have this platform for them to be seen, be seen and get a lot of business. A lot of folks also almost sold out of all their, their products because people were excited to invest in this community. And so I think as we look towards the future, we have to just honor, remember to honor our ancestors and what would be the best foot forward, but also stay rooted and true to who our community is and what our community needs. And then divert whatever, like you said, Professor, whatever 
dollars back into our community, back into our entrepreneurs so that Sterling can, can thrive and do what, what he needs to do so that the NAACP can do what they need to do and all of our communities can do what they need to do. I think there's a model there that's, that's forming. Uh, but we definitely need to be more t intentional and continue to connect. And I'll, I'll do my best to try and connect our community as much as possible. I was thinking about how we need a book about the origins of this community. Like we could, we could use Juneteenth to collect stories. I'm thinking also about Kwanzaa. Like I grew up in a household. We celebrated Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah. We celebrated everything. But I'm thinking Kwanzaa is a model too. But it would be nice. Like if we started maybe next year thinking about stories we could collect and maybe at some point publish a book about the, the community, but it's like oral histories, people telling their stories. How did you end up in Long Polk? What was your family's journey to Long Polk, to Santa Barbara, to Oxnard, wherever? I've been thinking about that because then you're leaving a document for future generations. That's an excellent idea. And I know that Actually, we, we did a little bit of that uh, on the uh, 50th anniversary of the death of Dr. Martin Luther King in Lompoc. We actually went to this church and we recorded our history around that anniversary. There's a similar project that I just learned about yesterday uh, where they're trying to record the history of people on the uh, Central Coast. I haven't had a chance to really delve into it, but it's supposed to be getting started in uh, July. And I do think that that is definitely a good way to leave a footprint or a blueprint, so to speak, for our children and their children. But also back to what I envision the future of like Juneteenth, I envision, as Jordan said, that we definitely have to be intentional. We need to remember our elders, but we also need to remember all young people because after all, uh, we're gonna be handing the baton to them, passing the baton to them. So we definitely want to involve them uh, to hear their ideas and to just make sure that they understand the significance so that this is not uh, forgotten, it's not erased, and that there is always a record of our community of Juneteenth, of Black history, of all the uh, contributions that have been made by African-Americans and, for that matter, people of color. You know what you're making me think of, Luanda? <laughs> so Santa Barbara, you know, it's the birthplace. It's one of the first major film studios was here, right? Uh -huh. On the corner of, of Mission and Chapala. It's now like the Quaker Meeting House, but that was a film studio. Oh, so wow. I've been thinking, yeah, I was thinking if you think about all the, everybody has a, a camera, a, a phone, a camera on their phone. Maybe next year, one idea could be the children or the young people to create their own little videos about the event and like, or even have a filmmaker or videographer work with them and let them put together something to show how they experienced Juneteenth. I mean, we have, I'm thinking about uh, Obama's daughters. I, I'm originally from Chicago. I grew up there. And so I have family members who worked on his campaign. But I remember when his daughters were literally filming 
his inauguration, his first inauguration. I don't know if you remember that, but they were I like, do. they were documenting it. And I think we could maybe get the, the children to document Juneteenth. And, but not just Juneteenth, because I know, Lawanda, you're like, no, it's about the whole history, but they could document Kwanzaa. We could have a big Kwanzaa event. I think Kwanzaa is underrepresented in general at the national level, but get the children involved in recording. They could record it through drawings. They could record it through film, through photographs, through their Instagram. But that's another thing I was just thinking about, because that gives them control and input into, and, and so then you'd have different documentation. You'd have a diversified documentation. Oh yes, and I love it. I love it, I was writing it down. <laughs> I love, no, everything that you all have said is amazing. I, and uh, I guess as the artist, uh, writer, actor, guy, dreamer, what I imagine for the future is that Juneteenth is like the colored 4th of July. It's the beginning of the summer because it's like Juneteenth. It's like, oh, it's summer now because it's Juneteenth. But I imagine, you know, the education aspect, the speakers, fireworks, you know, parades, uh, everyone, every town, you know, as there's baseball, hot dogs and, you know, apple pie, whatever the, uh, the equivalent in black culture are those are celebrated on those days. I, I, that's what I see. Uh, so you all are great with the the nuts, the, the steps on how we get there. I can just tell you the big picture I see is that Juneteenth is this just national day of celebrating a uh, black culture where we don't have to, you know, be political or guilty or whatever that it's just, it, it's like our, you know, New Orleans, I forget what are those, the, um, Mardi Gras. Yes. Thank you. Oh, yes. yeah, Mardi This oh is a God. national yeah. Mardi Gras right here. You know, that's what I'd like to see Juneteenth become. Oh, that's uh, I mean, I spent so much time on that, you know, and it's you're from, you know, it's funny because it was through teaching that course that I went back and found my Texas roots because my great, 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 great grandfather was the first person of color to get a law degree in Texas. Wow, that's wonderful. I know. And I have all the documentation. They had he founded a newspaper. The Klan went after him, of course. <laughs> I mean, like, but. But I've been thinking, I saw a documentary last week at the Riviera, and it was about the history of the New Orleans Jazz Festival. And I used to go to that jazz festival every year for 10 years. I went and the, they had some amazing archival footage. And, and so now I'm thinking we could have the history of the Juneteenth in Santa Barbara, but we have to start documenting it now. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. I'm loving all our ideas. Like one thing I want to mention just real quickly, uh, when we're talking about preserving Juneteenth and creating legacies, uh, one thing that Juneteenth Santa Barbara that they did that was really impressive, and I told them that was definitely taking that uh, idea back to our event in Lompoc, was they had this huge banner, and it said, why I Juneteenth? And then you could just, they had pins. And you could just write whatever on it. And so I think that's in itself is a way to create a legacy. And but what we're going to do is we're going to put the year, the year on each one so that we can preserve that. Yeah, I will say um, I know like you all have been in Santa Barbara. I know I'm from Oxnard originally uh, from high school, et cetera. 
and I, I could see the work that you all have already been doing over the years in this community, but I feel like this is a, a you know, a things, movements happen in waves, and I feel like this is like another wave coming in right now, and I feel so blessed to be just a small part of, of you know, what you all have already done, and now here comes another wave of you, and you're, you know, on your travels, you know, across this earthly plane, so um, I thank you so much. I've learned so much today, and I really feel like this isn't this isn't just a lot of speaking. It's really like an energy that's that is undeniable that will continue to move forward. So, thank well, you. I want to thank Molly for bringing us together, Absolutely. and for and Molly, I want to thank you for creating this space for this dialogue. And hopefully this is the beginning of one of Molly's new series. Absolutely. Black in Santa Barbara. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted to say thank you for, for joining the show this week and for coming on and trusting Professor Twine and I to lead this discussion and, you know, all of your, your help. They went on next time I'm in Santa Barbara, of course, I'm going to get lunch at Soul Bites. So you'll be seeing me around and I'm just happy to reconnect with Santa Barbara because even though I went to UCSB there, I feel like a lot of what I learned came from my English degree and specifically my teachers in the Black Studies Department when I would take English classes there. That was the only time when I really learned about the oral history and the literary history of Black culture. So I, I'm really appreciative to learn everything from all of you today. Molly, thank you so much. I appreciate you bringing us together. And I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the, uh, the conversation and, of course, being with you all. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And thanks, Molly. Thank you, Molly. Take care. It was so great meeting you and being with you. I look I look forward to our next encounter.